Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Well, today is Senior Adult Day. Well, we want to thank all of our senior adults for being here this morning and thank you for being uh, faithful all these years. Thank you for being uh, godly examples uh, before a younger generation. And uh, that's what uh, we're called to do, those of us who are older and have people who are younger behind us, is to uh, be an example, right? And so uh, we appreciate that, and I think we're going to uh, give you a little something to eat after uh, service, so that means I can preach a little extra long today, since uh, you already got lunch waiting for you, but uh, just kidding. But we uh, started a series of messages that I've entitled Character Sketches, and so I want to press on with that series. We took a little break last week so that we could dedicate our hearts and minds to the Lord's Supper, and that was so important to do because we never want to tack it on. It needs to be the center of attention because it focuses on the gospel, what Jesus Christ has done for us, sacrificing, dying, and on the third day, coming out of the grave in bodily form for us. And so we never want to downplay the Lord's Supper. It needs to be the highlight when we celebrate it together. And so that's why we did that. So now getting back to our idea of character sketches, we want to begin to look throughout the scripture and find some godly people and maybe some not so godly folks that we want to look into their life and begin to see how can we either emulate them or how can we avoid some of the pitfalls that they fell into? Because we saw Moses a few weeks ago, and we all have this high view of Moses and understand that Moses is a great guy. But we saw a few weeks ago that even Moses had his weak moment, didn't he? He fell into sin, rebellion, the same rebellion that the nation of Israel had been in for the 40 years of wandering. He fell right smack in the middle of it. And so rather than him, you know, Rubbing off on the people, eventually they rubbed off on him a little bit. So when, when we think about those characters and how they can impact our life, one of the characters that I think that has really impacted my life as I look at his life, and that is the Old Testament character of Joshua. And we're going to be in Joshua chapter 23 and 24 this morning, and we're going to look at and talk about Joshua who is passing on the baton of faith. Now, if you don't know anything about Joshua, that's okay, because I want to sort of bring you up to speed a little bit. The first time we run into Joshua is uh, in Exodus 17. And in Exodus 17, there's this great uh, battle that's taking place between the Israelites and the Amalekites. And there's this great battle that's taking place, and God would use this man Joshua as a mighty warrior to bring the Amalekites down. And so if you know anything about Joshua, you begin to discover in his life that God used him in some very significant battles in the life of the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, he's going to be the one to take the nation into the promised land. And that, by the way, wasn't going to be an easy task. It was going to be more of a difficult task than he could ever imagine that it would be. 
So Joshua shows up and he's this great mighty warrior. But the thing about Joshua that's pretty amazing is, is that God decides that the next leader behind Moses would be this young fella who probably was about 38 or 40 years old when they entered into the wandering, that is the wilderness wandering. He was about 38 to 40 years old and God was going to use him and fashion him to be the successor of this great man, Moses. Can you imagine being picked as the guy who would follow Moses? I mean, for a pastor, that would be like being the guy who goes to Bellevue after Adrian Rogers. You know, it's like, oh man, that's some big shoes to fill. You know, that's a a great pastor. That's a a great guy, a great orator, a great preacher of the faith. And so it'd be a little scary, you know, to sort of step into that role. But but he is the one who's going to be chosen. And here's the awesome thing about that, though. He got to spend time, intimate time, not only with God, but with Moses. And Moses, we're talking about discipleship, Moses would disciple this boy for 40 years before he would die. And so there is this discipleship model that we see. And so Moses goes up on the mount for 40 days. And you remember, he didn't go by himself. He took his protege with him. And so not only is Joshua getting discipled by Moses, but then he gets this awesome privilege of going with him to meet God on Mount Sinai. How awesome is that? I mean, I would love that kind of moment, wouldn't you? I mean, it'd be kind of scary, but it'd be a great moment to be able to just go and be in the presence of God. How awesome, you know, for Joshua to get to experience something so amazing. And we often forget that he was not only on the mount, but we also remember that there's this tent of meeting that you remember that Moses set up outside the camp of the Israelites. And the Bible said that when he would go out to the camp of the meeting, the cloud of God would come down and cover the tent. What we often forget about that is Moses would come and go, but Joshua never left the tent. So not only is he being discipled by Moses, but listen, he's spending quality alone time with God the Father. That's pretty awesome. Think about it. We forget about all these things, don't we? I mean, how many of y'all remembered that? See, we don't remember these things about these guys. And so what makes him a great leader? What makes him a great man of faith? It's spending time with the Father. That's the only thing that's going to grow you. It's the only thing that's going to make you, Michael, the, the man of God that you need to be is when you spend alone time with him. Amen? It takes time. We, we have to make the time to spend time alone with the Father. And so oftentimes in the tent of meeting, he stayed behind. But remember that in Numbers, in verse or chapter 13 and 14, we have this 12 spies sent out to go into the land of Canaan. And when the spies came back, out of the 12 that came back, 10 gave a negative report. They said, hey guys, there's no way we can take this place. I mean, there are giants over there. I I mean, this is the fruit. Now, can you imagine they had to bring back the cluster of grapes on a pole carried between them. They were so heavy, so large, so luscious, so beautiful. Just think about the nourishment that they would bring to them. Think about how God was going to feed them in this promised land. But what did they do? What did they do? We can't go. We just can't do it. We'll never survive. The giants will wipe us out. We're just like grasshoppers. And they'll just wipe us out and we'll never survive. And so Caleb and Joshua say, hey guys, listen, God's giving it to us. Let's go. Let's go get in there. Let's take the land. God's already said it's ours. Let's just go claim what's ours. But the people in their disobedience, 
began to whine and complain. You know, why is the nation of Israel, every time they whine and complain, they're like us? They began to think about how, how better it was in the past. <laughs> you remember they, they said, well, it would have been better if we just stayed in Egypt. I mean, here God has rescued them. God has brought them across you know, the Red Sea, killed all the Egyptians behind them. God has provided for them time and time and time and time again. And here they are complaining because they, God is sitting on the edge of the, of the fertile land to go in and take the promised land. And now they begin to complain, if we can just go back to Egypt, it'd be better. How is Egypt any better? You got grapes that have to be carried in a cluster between men on a pole because they're so big. How is Egypt better? It's not. But isn't that what we do? Boy, we start complaining when things don't go away. I remember when. I'm here to tell you, folks, that's just human nature, isn't it? We just gravitate to what is not God's best, and we want to gravitate what we thought was good. And so here we have Joshua leading these people. And and listen, he had a hard time because you remember that he had to lead with Moses as they were in this wilderness journey for these 40 years. As they're traveling around these 40 years, they're griping and complaining the whole time. Remember, that's what caused Moses to sort of lose his cool. Remember, we, we talked about that when we talked about Moses. He beats the rock because they keep complaining about needing some water. And so they're not headed, hard headed people. And so the whole generation that rejected the promised land, God wanders them around in a giant circle in the wilderness until they all die off, except for two guys, Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses doesn't get the privilege of going into the promised land. And so now we sit at the edge of the promised land and Moses dies. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. Joshua has to become the leader that God's prepared him to be. But here's the thing about this leader. This leader was a man who loved God and trusted God. And so the Bible tells us that they go into the land of Canaan and they begin to conquer. The first place to start is Jericho and God does some amazing things, doesn't he? And so they go in and they conquer the promised land and now they've had this sort of hiatus of peace. They're they're in this time where God has blessed them, they're in the land and now there's no war and it's a time of peace. And it's also the time that Joshua is about to die. The Bible tells us that at this point in his life, in chapter 23 and 24, Joshua is 100 years old. He's got 10 years to live and he's gonna die. And so what is on his heart? I want you to think about that. At the end of your life, when you're looking back and reflecting, what's on your heart? You know what I find amazing is that on the heart of Joshua is not Joshua thinking about how great heaven's going to be. I don't find Joshua looking to put his personal preferences on the generation behind him. No, what I find is a Joshua who is concerned about the next generation. And not only is he concerned about the next generation, listen, he's concerned about the generation after that generation. Senior adults, listen to me loud and clear. Those of us who follow God and who are senior adults, and I'm not quite a senior adult, but I'm an older guy now. I'm in that middle of the road. But those of us who follow the Lord, who are older, have a responsibility to the younger generation that is coming behind us, not to impose upon them our church preferences, but to lead them in a godly way. Amen? To give them godly principles that they can live by for the rest of their lives. 
and that they can pass on to the next generation behind them, who can pass on to the next generation behind them. Our concern not should, be for, or should not be for our comfort, but should, should be for the next generation. Amen? Listen, God does not have a retirement plan on earth for you if you are a follower of Christ. Your retirement plan is a pine box. Amen? And then there's heaven. And how glorious that's going to be, by the way. Listen, that's, that's far better than me having enough money saved up that when I retire, I can jump on an airplane and travel the world and enjoy all the bounty of this planet. Listen, heaven's going to be far greater than that. Amen? And so God does not give us retirement. What God has called older people to do is to invest in younger generations. And that's exactly what Joshua is going to do. Joshua is going to, in chapter 23 and 24, he is going to take the focus off himself and put the focus where it needs to be, on the nation and on the younger generation. Because listen, the first generation, his generation is dead. You understand that, right? I mean, there is only two people going into the promised land from the first generation. Caleb and Joshua. Everybody else is dead. So here he is, 100 years old. Caleb's probably about 100 years old. And now he's going to bring the nation together. He's going to say, hey, guys, I want to give you my final sermon. If I was to give a final sermon this morning, what would I say? What would be of value? What would be important this morning? Think about your life. If you were to write down this afternoon your last will and testament, what would you want your kids and your grandkids to know? What would you want to pass on to them? We would call it the legacy. What legacy do you want to leave to the people behind you? And so Joshua tells us what that legend is. Now, you, you know I don't have time to exegete chapter 23 and 24. There are way too many verses. I cannot do that. So what I'm going to do is we're going to camp around three thoughts this morning. And they're going to be thoughts that I'm going to pull out of this text. But I want you to go home and read the text later because you'll see the flow a lot better when you read it for yourself. But I want you to to begin to see out of this text three primary things that he tells the nation of Israel as he's about to leave, as he's about to die and go on the glory. Three things that are important. By the way, I hope these are the things I can invest in my own kids, in my, in my children and grandchildren, excuse me, as uh, I share with them. So here's the first of them. We find them in verses, write these in the margin if you want, but verse 3 of chapter 23 Verse 5, verse 10, verse 14, and then chapter 24. But just listen to what the first is. And that is, God is faithful. How many of y'all know that this morning? God is faithful. I am so thankful that God is a faithful God. Amen? I, I'm so thankful that, that we would be reminded by the Apostle Paul as he's writing to Timothy, even if we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're a senior adult in here, you ought to know about the faithfulness of God. Let's see it in the text, though. Chapter 23, verse 3. Listen to what he says. He says, you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations. Here it is. Because of you. For the Lord your God, that is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, is he who has fought for you. God is faithful to fight battles for us, amen? But listen, down, down in verse 5, listen to what it says. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight, so you shall possess their land as the Lord your God, listen, has promised you. 
So not only did he fight for them, but he's going to continue to fight for them. Why? Because he is a promise keeper. God keeps his promises. Aren't you glad? When you begin to read the Bible and you begin to run into the promises, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, you can bank on it. God doesn't change his mind. God doesn't renege. We sang that song just before I got up to preach. There is no taking back the cross. That's an awesome line, by the way, in that song. That just captured my heart. The first time I heard that song, I just had to stop there. I just had to bank on that, on that river of truth for a while because it was just amazing just to think about how he never takes back the cross. Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Look at verse 10, though. He says, not only that, but he says, one man, he says in verse 10, of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord, here it is again, for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised. Now he puts them both together. Now is he fighting for us? But listen, there's this promise again. So he's reminding us throughout the text that God is a faithful keeping God. When he says something to you, he means it and he keeps his word. He does not renege. He does not change. That gives me great hope when I read the Bible because there are some times I feel like he's forsaken me. And what I have to do is I have to remind myself he's right here. He's not going anywhere. He hasn't left. He's still by my side. Why? Because he promised me. You know, when there's times where I, I get trapped in a sin and I feel like, you know, I'm so ashamed. Would God even take me back? I, I just had to remember he promised in 1 John 1, 9, if, I'm, if I've confessed my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to what? Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Folks, that's what the promises of God are about. He is faithful and he will keep those promises. When you begin to read the Old Testament and New Testament promises of God, you can just say, man, there's some truth to live by. But listen, more importantly than that, there's some truth to cling in or cling to and write on the tablet of your heart because you will need those truths as you travel this life. Why? Because listen, we're like the Israelites. We're so prone to forget how faithful he really is how he is right here beside us fighting the battle for us. We forget that truth, don't we? Certainly we do. Verse 14, he reminds us again. Notice verse 14. Behold, he says, this day, he says, I am going the way of all the earth. He says, listen, I'm about to die, guys. He says, I'm going the way of all the earth. He says, and you know in all of your hearts and in all of your souls that not one thing has failed. <laughs> I love that. Of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you, all have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Let me tell you something. God can keep his promise because nobody can strip it away. You hear me? He says that nothing that God has promised to the people has failed. God cannot fail. Why? Because he's sovereign. He is bigger than anybody. I don't know anybody bigger than God, do you? I don't know any problem bigger than God. God cannot fail. It is impossible for God to fail. That makes his promises more the rich, doesn't it? Well, that just, Robbie just, man, you can, you can sink your teeth into that truth. God will not fail. It's impossible. And that's what, makes him faithful. And then he begins in chapter 24. If you read chapter 24, verses 1 through 13, when you get home, he says, 
Let me just recap what God has done for you. And he gives them a historical lesson from the call of Abraham down to, the, to them being in the promised land and how God promised one man, Abraham, that this is what he was going to do is give this land to his seed. And here we have the reality of it. They're standing in the promised land. But the sad reality is that they would forget about the faithfulness of God. And forgetting about the faithfulness of God, eventually they would fall and they would lose the land to the Babylonians because they decided rather than trusting in the faithfulness of God, they would begin to trust in the faithfulness of wood and stones and follow after foreign gods and marry foreign wives that would lead their hearts astray from the truth. Folks, that leads segue into my second point. And that is not only are we to be realize that God is faithful, but listen, that obedience is necessary. You and I have to be obedient people. Amen. Now my obedience, listen to me very carefully. My obedience is not what saves me. I am saved by, by God through faith and grace alone, period. But listen, as a follower of Jesus, I'm expected to be obedient. Look, look how he says it to the people beginning in chapter 23 and verse six. Listen to what he says to them. He says, therefore, God's faithful, therefore, verse six, Therefore, be very courageous to keep, here it is, to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. The first thing he reminds us is you've got to be obedient, listen, to the word of God. I'm fallible. I know I'm fallible. Mr. Dan and I were talking Wednesday night and he was talking about some of my adverb usages from the uh, pulpit and Sometimes I get to talking like I'm uneducated because I am uneducated, I guess. But sometimes I don't say words right and they come out wrong and all the other stuff. We've laughed about it in the office during the week. But the reality is, listen, it's not me you're listening to anyway, I hope. <laughs> I hope you're taking what I'm preaching and reading the Bible and going, hey, that's in there. And if it's not in there, then you need to say, that's not in there. I'm not going to listen to that. Amen? You with me? Because I am not the standard the standard is God's written word. And when he begins to talk about obedience, did you notice that he says the book of the law of Moses? But listen, the book of the law of Moses was not Moses' words. That was the Holy Spirit inspired book by which they lived by in his day. That was their Bible. That was their scriptures. That was the commandments that God had given through his man to the nation of Israel. And so what we ought to do today is we ought to look at the book we ought to be people of the Bible and see what the Bible says about what we ought to obey and what we ought not to obey. Amen? Because I'm here to tell you, listen to what he said in the text. If you don't do that, if you don't listen to the Bible, what did he say? Lest you turn to the right or to the left. What is going to keep us straight on with God? The truth of the word. If I'm not in the truth of the word, guess what happens? Then anything goes. Because now my standard has changed. I've lowered the standard. I've changed the standard from God's word. Now it doesn't matter what I do. And that's exactly, listen to me, that's exactly what some churches in America are doing because they're taking the word of God and watering it down and changing it in order to suit their needs. And they're not listening to the truth of the word of God. And they're not letting the Bible speak as the Bible speaks <laughs> because the Bible speaks plain and clear. We just have to have the Holy Spirit to speak. And so he says to us, we need to listen and obey the truth of the word of God. That's our starting place. Go back to the book. 
And in the Bible, listen, in the Bible, when he's talking about obedience here, there is both a positive and a negative side, right? There are some positives in the Bible. The Bible says, do these things. I don't think it's a negative thing when he says to them, obey the word. That's not negative. That's a very positive, isn't it? I mean, that's a great encouragement for me to do. But as I read the Bible, there are some things that are negative in the sense that he says, these are some things that we ought to put on. But just like there are some things in our Christian life that we put on, like love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness, and we love one another and things of that nature we put on, there are some things that we put off, malice and and other things that are in, that can come up in our lives, anger and those sorts of things, he says to put off. So there are some things, as I'm a follower of Christ, listen, that are very clear that I ought to be doing that are positive, <clears throat> but there's also some things that I ought not be doing because they're very negative. And so when I look back at the Word of God, that is my rudder. That's the way that steers my course the right direction. Now, good preaching is good preaching, amen? I mean, you can learn a lot from good preaching. You can learn a lot from good Sunday school lessons. So we're not saying throw them out, but what we're saying is the foundation of your life, your direction of your life ought to be based strictly, solely in God's word. And it will tell you what to put on and it will tell you what to take off, amen? And so he says in the text, Notice, slip down, not only are we to be obedient to the word, but I want you to slip down to verse 8. Listen to what he says there. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. That word hold fast is the Old Testament word cleave. We know all about that word cleave, right? Because in the Genesis account, the Bible says the man ought to leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. That is, they're supposed to be joined together. They're supposed to become one in relationship. Here he's telling us that our responsibility, listen, in a good New Testament, in a good modern day word, is that is to cling to God. So you and I, not only are we supposed to listen to the word of God, but listen, you can, you can have the word, you can have the truth, but if you don't have God, you don't have anything. Because you don't want just the word, you want the God of the word. And so he's saying, cling to God. He's saying, listen, you guys have been strong up to this point. You've gotten it turned around. We, we're in the promised land, enjoying the bounty of everything. God's brought us to this place. Now cling to him. Don't turn to foreign gods. Don't begin to dabble in all the junk that's out there in the world for you to dabble in. Be faithful. Listen, be faithful to God. He's faithful to you. Be faithful to him. And so he calls us to, I think, the highest of callings, not just to the obedience of the word, not just to cling to God. But listen, what Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 22, he's going to tell us to do. Look at verse 11. Therefore, he says, take careful heed to yourselves that you, here it is, love the Lord your God. Oh, I am to obey him. I'm going to cling to him. But listen, I want to love God. You know, when you begin to read the Bible in the Old, in the old and New Testament, it's what it boils down to, Jesus said. It boils down to loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The church at Ephesus was a, a great church plant. God did some amazing things through the, uh, the Apostle Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And as the church began to grow, the church remained faithful and loyal to get doctrinal points right. They engaged the culture with doctrinal truth. And the Bible says that they worked their fingers to the bone. They worked 
tirelessly, effortlessly, they, or excuse me, tirelessly they work, and, and they try to make an impact in their world. And yet we find them in Revelation, Jesus speaking to them and saying, there's one thing I have against you. You're doctrinally sound. You got great ministries going on in your church. But there's one thing I have against you. You have left your first love. See, we can do all the things. We, listen, we can be Bible scholars. We can say that we cling to God, but listen, do I love him? Do I love God with all of my being? By the way, isn't that what it's all about? To love God and to enjoy him forever? And I'm going to. You're going to if you're a follower. We're going to enjoy him forever. But boy, do sometimes our love wax cold, doesn't it? Sometimes we fall more in love with the things that we're doing for God than we do for God. Sometimes we're more in love with the Bible than we are with God. Amen? He's saying, listen, guys, love God. This is obedience. This is what's necessary. And listen, my motivating factor to being obedient is out of my love for him. But then there's one last thing. Because see, good preaching always comes down to one final good point. And that is commitment. Will you make a commitment? Will you as a nation commit? Because that's what it comes down to. Notice how he says it. Look in chapter 24. Very familiar words to many of us who have read about Joshua before, but listen to them afresh. Verse 14 of chapter 24. Now, therefore, here comes the conclusion. Fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Here's the choice. Will you serve God or will you serve another God? Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other, despise the other, or love the other. He says to them in the text, choose what you're going to do. And if it seems evil to you, he says in verse 15, to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. See, here's a great point. Jesus said you're either for me or against me. Jesus told one church, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Jesus says either pick me, or reject me. Either be on my side, committed, fully committed, or be on the other side. Isn't that what he's saying here? Do you see that? He's saying to the people, listen, if you're not going to serve God, if that's what you choose not to do, then just pick somebody. Pick something. Go after something. You know what I'm saying? Be committed to something. Not that something's right. That's not what he's saying there. <laughs> not, that, not that something's right. Listen, if we choose other than God, we're choosing the negative, the wrong, the, the path of destruction. But he says, <clears throat> if you're not going to choose God, just go pick something else because here's the point. God wants either all of you or none of you. That's tough. And so the commitment comes down to, nation of Israel, what will you do? It comes down to us today, what will we do? Will we commit ourselves or will we not? The choice is up to us at this point. If you're a follower of Christ, you have to choose this day. Are you going to be obedient or not be obedient? Are you going to commit all of yourself to him or none of yourself to him? Because that's what the call is. But notice how 
He says, he settles it. He said, but as for me, Joshua, 100 years old, has been faithful. Can I tell you, my friends, listen, it's not how you begin the race, it's how you finish. Because I'm going to tell you something. When I was a new Christian, I stumbled a lot coming out of, the, out of the box. Can I tell you, even as a Christian who's been a Christian a long time, I sometimes stumble out of the box trying to run the race. I think Paul experienced that in Romans 7. But listen, how am I going to finish? We're not saying Joshua was perfect. Listen, there's only one perfect man ever walked the face of the planet. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He was perfect. Perfect obedience to the law of God. Perfect obedience to God's moral law. He was perfectly obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So there's not a perfect person in the room. That's not what we're calling for. But listen, one thing for certain that Joshua decided is, if I'm going to get anything right, it's going to be my allegiance. And my allegiance is going to be to God. And listen, that means commitment that I have to make. And I have to decide, am I going to be committed or am I not going to be committed? He says, as for me and my house, the ones I have influence over, the ones I have control over, we're going to serve God. That's what we're going to be about. Listen, that's what we should all be about as Christ followers. Amen? That should be our highest priority, is serving the one who called us into service to begin with, right? He who began a good work in you will what? Perfect it. Oh, you didn't think those Philippian stuff would come back. But then he also said, right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God's called you. He's equipped you. He's with you because he's faithful. But will you work out your own salvation with fear. Will you be an obedient follower of Christ? Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.